Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton. Not joining me today is my friend, my colleague, my neighbor, my frenemy, Mr. Mark Daly. And that can mean only one thing, that this is a continuation of our interview series. So thank you so much for joining us. Today's guest is somebody that is very, very special to me because as you probably all know, I'm a big fan of podcasting and I have been consuming podcasts for many years. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story as a long transition into introducing our guest. But back in the early 2000s, I was I was a bigger guy. At one point, I was about 320 pounds. And slowly with time and adjusting my eating habits, I began to run and I ran more and more. And in early 2005, I got my first MP3 player. And it wasn't anything special, but it was perfect for me. It was a white screenless Apple iPod shuffle. And it was perfect because I could load up podcasts now and go for a run. And all of a sudden, my runs got longer and longer, and they felt like they went by faster and faster. And back at that point, there weren't a lot of dedicated sports podcasts. A lot of the podcasts that were out there were simply repackaged sports radio. So I listened to a lot of Mike and Mike and Colin Howard and Dan Patrick. But in 2007, a friend of mine put me onto a Canadian basketball podcast called The Basketball Jones or TBJ. And I loved it because the guys were unique and they were personable and they were accessible and they were kind of a little bit off the cuff, but I really and thoroughly enjoyed the show. And it was also really exciting to watch them grow and and improve their show and improve their production quality, et cetera. The other thing that was really cool was that over time, they added cast members. And in 2010, they added Trey Kirby. And he was the first non-Canadian member of the crew. Trey, as you're going to learn, hails from Illinois. He grew up as a Chicago Bulls fan. And previously, he had been a basketball blogger, which which is how we developed the connection to TBJ. Of course, for those of you that maybe know, and for those of you that don't, the Basketball Jones became huge, became one of the biggest basketball NBA podcasts on the internet. And in 2013, the entire team was hired by the NBA and TNT to go to TNT to host the TV show, The Starters, which of course had a complimentary podcast. A couple of years ago, the whole crew made a transition from TNT to The Athletic, where they host now the No Dunks 
podcast. They've continued to grow their reach. They now have a baseball-focused podcast called No Bunts. But most interestingly for today's show is Trey Kirby started a Formula One podcast with The Athletic last year called No Breaks. And if you haven't picked up on it, today's very, very special guest is the bearded one as his co-host so dearly call him Trey Kirby. So we're going to take a quick break, pay some of the proverbial bills, and when we come back, we are going to be joined by the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, the bearded one, Mr. Trey Kirby. Hang on tight because we've got a great podcast for you. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. As I said before the break, Mr. Mark Daly is not joining us today. And that, of course, means that this is a continuation of our interview series. And as I teased before the break, joining us today, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, the bearded one from The Athletic, the no dunks and no breaks, Mr. Trey Kirby. Trey, how the heck are you? Hey, i I'm super excited to be talking <laughs> Formula One. Uh, I always like to be in the position where I'm guaranteed to know less than the person I'm talking to, and I just get to bring that enthusiasm uh, for fast cars, you know, whether it be Vin Diesel driving or Lewis Hamilton driving. As long as they're speeding around out there, I'm happy to talk about it. Man, I think you may have just personally exposed me because on our podcast, I'm the high energy guy that doesn't have a lot of technical knowledge. So we may run into some problems on this podcast. My friend, for those of our listeners that maybe aren't super familiar with with no dunks and no breaks and the athletic and some of your background, maybe take a moment just to introduce yourself and tell our listeners some of the things that might be interesting uh, about you and your career and your journey so far. Yeah, you hit on uh, the main stuff. Right now, we podcast for The Athletic. Our show is called No Dunks, Inc. During the NBA season, uh, we're Monday through Friday, uh, every single day during the season. Things slow down a little bit for us during uh, the off season. But uh, as for my as for my journey to no dunks, you know, it started way back when when I was a pharmaceutical research guy. I was doing data entry at a computer and some project management, just very boring stuff. But the exciting things were happening on the internet, which is when the NBA blogosphere was la- was launching. So I started a website then at about the same time. Skeets, Tass, and JD, who we work together on the show now, they started The Basketball Jones, one of the first basketball podcasts out there. We're talking back in 2006. 
I started listening to that every single day, started getting in touch with those guys. And eventually, uh, the opportunity opened up that they wanted me to come work with them. Uh, I was a blogger for them uh, from the suburbs of Chicago. They were all based in Toronto, did that for a year. Then a year later, my wife and I moved in 2011 up to Toronto to work on the show full time. That was the case for a couple of years in 2013. All of us at that time, we had added another guy to the podcast, Lee Ellis, uh, an Australian fellow who had been working at the television network that the, that the Basketball Jones was a part of. In 2011, the six of us, uh, Skeets, Tass, JD, our producer Matt, Lee, and myself, we all moved down to Atlanta to work on a basketball show called The Starters for NBA TV. We did that for six seasons, and now we're back to our roots podcasting. We've been, this is, we just finished up year number three. With the athletic, it's been going incredibly well. Uh, we're growing the show every single season. You know, we built a studio this year. That was our big advancement. We launched some other shows. We got a Survivor show called No Buffs. We've got a new baseball show that debuted a couple of weeks ago called No Bunts. And we are in season 1.5, I suppose now, <laughs> of No Breaks, our Formula One podcast. Oh, congratulations. And it's funny, man, because so often we will interview people that have been very successful in the media industry. And I think sometimes the assumption is that, hey, they knew in high school, I want to do journalism and I went to a specific university and I did a journalism program. But less and less often, that seems to be the case that in this digital world, people find entry points and gateways into print media and digital media and podcasting without going through that conventional that conventional route. And that was, I guess, your case as well. So you grew up, correct me if I'm wrong, but you grew up Chicago adjacent. I think that's a fair way to say it. I grew up in a tiny town, Plano, Illinois. It's like 40 miles outside of Chicago. So you would call it probably a far southwest suburb. If you've ever heard of Plano, Illinois, it's probably because you're a fisherman. <laughs> Every tackle box you'll see out there says Plano on it. That's made in my hometown. So yeah, I went to a tiny school where you could play all, you could play three sports. You know, I played baseball, basketball, and football, and I acted in the school plays, and I was in the school band, and I was the host for like our pep rallies at homecoming because there were 70 of us in my senior class, that sort of thing. So while I was geared towards the medical world when I was a youngster, I got to do a lot of entertainment stuff. I just didn't necessarily think that that was going to be a real opportunity coming from a right. very small city. But uh, once, you know, once things became a lot more democratized on the Internet with regards to anybody can make anything and get it out and have it sound professional, things took off. And lucky for me, I was got to be a part of the early wave of people getting in on basketball internet and podcasting. And as we've seen in the past decade, basically things have grown from there. So I'm very happy to be doing what I'm doing now rather than punching in numbers for Novartis and Avenir <laughs> and all of these random pharmaceutical companies. Oh, I love that term you use, the democratization of, of digital sports media. And I want to circle back to that. But before I do, you grew up in, in Illinois. You grew up near Chicago, Chicago adjacent. But you grew up during a very special time in American professional sports. You grew up during the period of peak Chicago Bulls. Now, I grew up in Vancouver, BC. So I grew up during the era of the Vancouver Grizzlies, grew up aspiring to be a Vancouver Grizzlies beat writer. And of course, we got pummeled constantly. But the highlight, the actual highlight of our entire six-year run was a game in November 1995 when Michael Jordan came and torched <laughs> us in the fourth quarter. Like That is the high point in the history of our franchise. But you, meanwhile, you got to celebrate not one two, three, four, five, 
six championships, and even in Vancouver, BC, like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, they were bigger, bigger than life. Like they were transcendent. Talk about what it was like to be living in in the greater Chicago area while that dynasty was happening. It was incredible. I mean, my first favorite sport when I was uh, like a, a young, young boy, you know, five and six years old, no doubt it was baseball. I wanted to be Ryan Sandberg when I got older. But then obviously, seven years old I was in 1991, and that's when the Bulls won their first championship. And then they just kept winning and winning. And not only were they the most successful team out there, they were the coolest team out there, which is why I think you see a guy like Nikola Vucevic, now on the Chicago Bulls. He was a Bulls fan on the other side of the globe just because they had an incredible look. So yeah, it was awesome to live through. Though, you know, looking at it now, almost 25 years after the last championship, it may have ruined things for me <laughs> to just assume your team is going to win every championship when you're, you know, when you know, when you're from ages seven to 14, it hasn't been the case since then that the Bulls have been super competitive, uh, but it was awesome at the time. And, you know, my kids are starting to get to the age now where they are my, the same age that I was when the Bulls really right, took off. Right. So I'm like... I really hope that, you know, we live here in Atlanta. I'm hoping that Trey Young is really successful. I love seeing Atlanta win the World Series last year because I know those are going to be vivid memories for my kids. And I know the impact that seeing Jordan and the Bulls had when I was seven years old. So I'm hoping for the same for my kids uh, here down south. Yeah, and I, I wish I wish you nothing but the best in that that market. And you, that comment that you made about experiencing and being spoiled by six championships when you're a kid, there's probably a lot of young Trey Kirby's running around in the San Francisco Bay Area right now thinking that championships are just a way of life and they're never going to stop. And eventually, no matter how great that organization is, that's never going to stop. Now, before our listeners all groan because they know I will take any opportunity to talk MotoGP and NBA, I wanted to pivot back to that question that, or that comment that you made a couple minutes ago about digital media democratizing sports media. And, you know, I went to university and the first year I was in university, I actually went for journalism. And it was because I had this kind of dream of becoming one of the two beat writers for the Vancouver Grizzlies. And obviously they moved in the following summer. So I had to pivot my university program and I went into business. But back then, if you wanted to be in in sports media, you had to be lucky enough to get one of the two or three jobs in a local newspaper, or you somehow had to find your way onto a radio show at your city one sports radio station, if there was one at all. And that was pretty much it. Today, anyone now can have a platform, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's podcasting, Twitch, or YouTube. Talk a little bit about how sports media has become democratized and maybe some of the positives and some of the negatives that, hey, anyone can have a platform, but it doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Talk a little bit about your journey and how that made you in the basketball Jones so successful. Well, I think you totally nailed it. The good parts and the bad parts are one and the same. There's a ton of anybody can do it which means that anybody can do it. So it's still super competitive. You know, I still think um, there's still a huge obstacle to you have to get noticed and you have to be noticed more than the other people that are out there. It's just a huge field. And maybe you can get into more niche things, which I suppose presents more opportunities rather than just having two beat writers in a city. You know, like I'm saying, I, I was in a tiny town and I just started talking about basketball and that and that was able to take off for me. But if I'm able to do it, so are so many other people out there. So there is definitely there's definitely that competitive aspect about it. But the other nice thing is that 
with tools that are readily available to anybody is not only can you make your own thing, you can change your thing. So like we started out as an audio podcast, then that grew to be a video podcast. Then eventually that became a TV show with a podcast alongside of it. Then it went to becoming a podcast. And now we're back into the video as well. So as long as you're willing to keep learning and experimenting with the new tools that are out there, you can make a whole bunch of different things. And if you're willing to go at that sort of if you're willing to go that path quickly and early, like you have a really good shot to be one of the first movers there. And I think that that can be a huge advantage as well. So part of my advice to people is like to stay nimble and learn the new things that are coming out. Even if you don't like it right away, you can't fight technology with some kind of stuff, right? Like (laughs) I remember when we made the change as a group using a WhatsApp group to changing to Slack. And that was like, for me, I was like, why do we need Slack if we've got WhatsApp? We can just WhatsApp each other. And now I feel like a fool. But that to me was like a learning moment. I'm like, I may not have liked Slack when I first heard heard about it, but it's better than WhatsApp for a business, right? Like it's going to win. So sometimes sometimes, uh, your opinion doesn't necessarily have to be the one that wins uh, because there are bigger forces at at will than you are. Um, But as long as you're open to new experiences, as long as you're open to trying new things, you can get a lot better at at stuff pretty quickly. You made a point a couple of seconds ago about the fact that technically with some low cost tools, anybody can start broadcasting, whether it's YouTube, Twitch, creating a podcast. And you're right that not everyone's going to be successful and quality is going to vary pretty dramatically. And I've listened to some really great technical podcasts in the past. Production qualities were good. It was well-researched. It was factual, but the shows don't have any personality. There's no energy. There's no dynamism. One of the things that has always attracted me to the TBJ going back to 2007 and of course with the starters and no dunks is not only is it fun, there's a ton of personality. So there's this really unique angle. How much of the success that that your platform, TBGA, the Starters No Dunks, how much of the success that you have do you believe goes back to how likable and how much charis- or how charismatic the characters are and how personable people are? Because sometimes people who share kind of personal stories turn the audience off. I think listening to to TBJ and the and, and, and no dunks and the stars, like I feel like I have a personal relationship with everyone on that show. And to be honest, that's something that daily my co-host and I have tried to do with this program. We try to pull back the curtain and build that personal connection with our audience. But is that something that you have felt has helped separate you from the crowd and something that the audience has been receptive to? 100 uh, percent. I think a huge re- part of the reason that we've been able to stick together as a show for 16 years and have been at multiple networks and are still in demand and still have a following is because we've built a personal relationship with the audience because they recognize that the six of us, the five of us, the four of us, whatever it may be, whoever's uh, on the roster at that time. We are like really friends and we're really sharing ourselves and we're really pretty open with people out there. So it invites people in and we hear things like what you're saying, where like you feel like you have a relationship with us because, you know, we're pretty open about most of the stuff that's going on. Right. We do enough hours of content in a week that it's unavoidable that the things from our personal lives and away from the cameras are going to slip into the show. And honestly, that's the stuff that people love. People uh, really like our summer content because there's not necessarily (laughs) as much basketball to talk about. Uh, So we have to get creative and talk about our favorite beach trips and vacations we've taken or Lee ranking his favorite breads. The thing that brings a lot of people into the show is basketball. First and foremost, they like to hear our takes. They like to, to hear about their favorite teams. 
But the thing that tends to get people to stick around for a long time uh, is that they feel like they're part of the show, that they feel like uh, the people who listen to the show are listened to and heard just as much as you're hearing us when we're talking. So that has been a huge part of the reason we've been able to keep doing this thing as long as we have. One of the one of the best episodes I've actually heard from uh, from No Dunks in probably the last year, and I think it was Tass that had that the chaotic experience getting through COVID protocols at uh, the airport in Toronto, trying to get back to Atlanta after some time in the cabin. And of course, I'll never forget getting the frequent updates as you were trying to unload your real estate in Illinois after the move after the move down to Georgia. And these are the kind of things that that stick and resonate. And the way that you present this is fun and insightful and it's personable. And I think with a, a lot of the bigger brand name ESPN and Fox News shows, you don't get that level of um, intimacy with the host. And I think you guys do an awesome job. And like I said, we try to borrow so much of that on our show. I want to take a quick break because I got a couple more questions for you, but we'll take a quick break. We'll jump back. We'll pay a couple of those proverbial bills. Of course, we're not a Formula One T, but we still got some bills to pay. Um, and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Once again, we are incredibly lucky, incredibly blessed. We have Trey Kirby from The Athletic, of course, famous for the No Dunks and the new, I guess, season one and a half of the No Breaks podcast. Trey, you said before the break that you had begun working with the TBJ crew when you were still in Illinois, and eventually you made the move to Toronto. What was the move like, and what was it like to be suddenly surrounded by Canadians in a huge Canadian media market? What was the cultural adjustment like for you? Toronto was awesome. Uh, my wife and I loved living in Toronto. It came at the perfect time of in our lives. You know, we'd been married... I guess almost a couple of years before I start, almost two years before I started working uh, with TBJ. So they came to Chicago for like Blogs with Balls was the name of the big, uh, like the big conference that would happen. There was a Blogs with Balls. I don't know if it was two or three, whatever. Skeets and Tass were on some panel to come and hang out in Chicago and, uh, and give a talk on it. And we ended up going out late that night going out and dancing and having a great time. Uh, my wife, Laura, was there with us, and we were all just hanging out, and they were talking to her like, hey, would you guys ever move to Toronto? Would you ever Would you ever be interested in that sort of thing? And she was like, broke it down into happy tears on her way home. <laughs> and it just ended up being, I mean, we were just looking for a new adventure. We were like, we had, we had gotten married, like I said, a couple of years before. We were living nearby to where we both grew up. So we were thinking... Maybe we'll move to Madison, Wisconsin, or Toronto presented itself as well. And we ended up going up there for a couple of years, and it was just incredible. Uh, this was before we had kids, so we really liked the late nights there. The TBJ guys, Skeets and Tass and JD, Matt, they have uh, a big group of friends, and they're all super welcoming and super generous, and it felt like we were just plugged right into a social circle right there. So yeah, uh, you know, having to adjust to a bag of milk inside of a jar, like inside of a like a plastic 
picture sort of thing. <laughs> that was weird, no doubt about it. How about showing up to like uh, the the health services place, getting a card and just getting it to walk out right away in the same day and not having to wait for something in the mail? That was awesome. <laughs> there were little things, no doubt, that were a change for us. Uh, but most uh, most importantly, it was a lot of fun to be with those people there and to be doing the work that we were doing. And it was a fun adventure for us to be far away from our families and, you know, kind of learning how to live our lives together for the first time. I love it. Now, obviously, by 2019, you and the team were already in Atlanta. But 2019, my Toronto Raptors, of course, the team that Tass and and Skeets and JD and Matt would have grown up cheering for, they win the title. How insufferable was it to be around them off the air. Was this one of those things that you couldn't wait to pass or with or were they pretty humble in victory? Uh I think it was almost worse to be around them on air than off air. <laughs> on air they have to project the confidence, you know, like we got the Raptors right. backs here. We're rolling with the Raptors. Win, lose, or draw, but away from the show, they might be like, I don't I don't know. This is gonna be tough. We'll see what Steph does in the finals. Right. Well, they you know, before Clay Thompson went down with his injury, it was like, uh oh, we gotta worry about Clay Thompson in game six. Uh but overall, I just thought it was awesome. That was our last season at NBA TV. So we kind of went out with a bang, having the the Raptors actually win right. the championship, getting to go to finals up there, getting to go see them clinch the championship uh in Oakland was really, really special as well. So yeah, I was happy for them. Like a lot of people think I'm Canadian just because I moved back to, to the States with those guys from Toronto. Right. I've got a general, you know, Canadian sort of look about me. We wore (laughs) a lot of plaid when we moved here in 2013. It was still very big. Uh, So I was happy to uh, be a fake Canadian during the 2019 playoffs, you know, uh, and join the bandwagon a little bit uh, when the Raptors took home the title. I have a bit of an F1 related segue here as well. So uh, we typically try to build relationships with young drivers when they're still in Formula 3 and Formula 2. And one of the young drivers that we had built a relationship was uh, Nicholas Latifi back when he was in F2. And we did an interview with Nikki at the beginning of uh, uh, the F2 season in 2019. And we built a really great relationship with him. And I was at game five of the NBA Finals sitting in the 300 level up top. But he was sitting courtside and I could see him. So I was messaging him from the 300 level, congratulating him on what I thought was going to be a Raptors win that night. And of course they didn't win, but he is a huge, huge Toronto Raptors fan. And of course he has the number six adorned on his helmet, representing the area code of Toronto. Now that said, this is where I want to get into the meat and potatoes of why I wanted to talk to you. For many, many years, you've hinted and spoken about Formula One on the air when you're on the No Dunks podcast and the stars before that. And I always thought that was interesting because until the last couple of years, you might go months or years without meeting a Formula One fan, or you would intentionally seek them out and keep them close because you wanted to have somebody to talk to the sport about. Now, all of a sudden, Everybody is talking about the sport, but you were into F1 and you've been following F1 forever. How did that happen? When did you discover Formula One as presumably as a young boy or a young man living in Illinois? Well, I'm glad I'm faking it that well, because that's not really the case for me. My first exposure to Formula One would be like those Sports Illustrated articles of, you know, which athletes made the most money during whichever whichever year it may be. And Michael Schumacher was always topping Michael Jordan. I was like, who is this guy? Who is this guy, Michael Schumacher? How is he richer than Michael Jordan? This guy's the, you know, the biggest star in the world. 
I thought. So that was my first exposure to Formula One. My second exposure to Formula One, gotcha. I guess, would be uh, my co-host on No Breaks Now, Graydon Gordian, is a huge Formula right, One fan, and he right. actually is a longtime fan. He's known about it long before I would start bugging him about tire strategies and silly season and trying to figure out the difference between overcuts and undercuts. But things really popped off for me, like a lot of people, with Drive to Survive. I was just in on it as soon as season one was over. As soon as season one was over, it flowed right in to the next season. Brilliant marketing uh, by Formula One there. And I just hopped in right away. I think that as time has gone on, that's kind of happened for more and more people every single season. Kind of culminating after uh, after season three, I suppose. Like, I think that was the biggest boom. Like, season one, a slow build. Season two, a slow build. Season three, a huge explosion. Season four, yet another huge explosion as things continue. Uh, but yeah, I do think that getting into Formula One after season one of Drive to Survive, it almost makes me an old timer since I didn't get in at season three. Totally. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that was going to be my next question is at what point did it occur to you that, hey, this might not just be a personal thing, that F1 might be coming mainstream and there could be some real sustainable growth here. At what point did you realize that you were in at season one? Was it season three, season four, where it just kind of dawned on you like, wow, this might be here to stay. Yeah, I guess it was probably probably after season three heading in to it would have been the, the 2021 season, right? Uh, the, the big showdown between Lewis and Max. And I think that, you know, with the way Hamilton had won all of his championships and was going to be chasing the all time record going against going up against this guy in Verstappen, who's like getting closer and closer, but just seems to be falling shorter and shorter to the point where he's finally, you know, he's such a great villain and he's finally like reached the peak of his powers that he can actually challenge Hamilton. That was really special. It also worked out perfectly timing wise for us with the way F1 takes a little bit of a break in the middle of their seasons generally coincides with a break in the NBA calendar, which gave us a chance. Let's do a fun podcast recapping what's happened in the first half of the Formula One season for 2021, because, you know, Graydon and I would just be talking about that, chatting about that. Skeets and his wife are huge fans as well. So we're in a group together. We're going to be talking about it. Oh, we could make a fun podcast about this. We did that. It got a really solid response. And then we had an awesome Formula One season to the point where we started off saying, yeah, maybe we'll do an episode every month. And then it became, we're going to do an episode every two weeks. And then it became, oh, well, we basically need to do an episode after every single race here because things are getting spicier and spicier and it's getting more and more exciting. So I think it just worked out perfectly timing for us that we had the opportunity to start talking F1 while at the same time, we're getting one of the most exciting seasons in F1 that has a ton of eyeballs on it. So it just worked out uh, very well for us timing wise. But to me, the 2021 season, launching the podcast and having it come down to the last lap of the season, incredible stuff. So it just the cards lined up perfectly for us. And for people listening at home, of course, the the core the core podcast that you've worked on for the last couple of years is No Dunks at The Athletic. And the spinoff, I shouldn't say the spinoff, but the podcast that you, you launched to support Formula One is called No Breaks. That was launched, as you mentioned, last summer, and it became more and more steady in the feed until it became its own standalone podcast. How receptive was The Athletic to the idea of a Formula One podcast? Did you have to sell the idea or were they pretty enthusiastic about you taking the template of what makes No dunk special and applying it to formula one they were really happy to get it and it 
shout out to our audience. They were ready for it at the exact same time because there are a lot of people in our same situation who had watched Drive to Survive. Now they're into Formula One. They're already listening to our podcast that shows up in their feed. So they like it. And that response really kind of uh, sold the athletic on it. No doubt about it. And they generally give us a lot of leeway to try new and exciting things. We tied it into the NBA. And there wasn't a huge Formula One presence at that point with the athletic. Uh, So yeah, they were happy to get it at that time. I did a little writing for them as well during the second half of the season. And then heading into this year, they signed The Race, the big podcast and uh, content creators to really beef up, beef up their coverage because those guys legitimately know what they're talking about. Those guys are actually <laughs> experts. So that's what I got to go to and listen to to get my uh, my technical expertise that I can then maybe translate a little uh, into the way we do things. But there are different approaches to everything. And I think that we've found our way of doing it. They've got their way of doing it. And it's nice that we can have both under the same umbrella. Absolutely. And I think I think what makes your show special for Formula One fans is, again, big personalities, big charisma. You make the sport very accessible. And if I'm new to Formula One and I tune into the race, I'm going to be overwhelmed. It's very technical. The language is very, very specific. And it could be a turnoff. And I think in the case of a show like yours, you make the sport accessible, you make it fun, and you make it easy to digest for somebody that's maybe new to the sport, as so many Americans are. So on that note, from your perspective, You've been in the media industry now for more than a decade on both sides of the border in Canada, in in Atlanta, of course. What do you think F1 needs to do to sustain this momentum, right? Like it's got the sport into a good place. It's not great. We're talking a million viewers a race week on, on ESPN. There's definitely room for growth. But what can they do to continue to sustain the growth of the sport from your perspective? I think they need to continue making the sport about the sport, which to me means like playing a little less to American audiences, uh, if that even makes sense. Like Drive to Survive should stay how it is and keep uh, highlighting the narrative of things and, you know, the interpersonal conflicts between a total wolf and a Christian Horner or inter, you know, inter-team drama uh, between who's going to be signed here and there. But but I think Formula One has been so successful already that it is a big learning curve to get into it. But I also think that's a little bit of what kind of draws people to the sport. You're like, I understand cars. I understand the general rule of what's trying to happen here. I'm trying to be the first one around. I'm trying to be the fastest out there. But the more and more you watch, the more and more interested you get in figuring out the different terminologies and the different strategies and even the different positions on the scoreboard, right? Like there's more than one championship out there. There's the people going for the title. There's the people going for third or fourth place. There's the people going for eighth place. So I think that part of it to me is that you got to just keep it about the sport because sometimes you can definitely get lost in the, the narrative aspect of things. However... On the flip side, I do think silly season should be a bigger deal. Like it's already the craziest thing in the world to me that they're doing that Formula One teams and drivers negotiate their contracts for the next season when they're in the midst of trying to win for their team already. Like the Botas yes, stuff last year, yes. last year's crazy. Like that's just a very, very strange uh setup for the way personnel decisions go down. You know, we see it in other sports similarly when there are trade requests. But it's not the same as like agreeing to drive for another team while the team you're current, 
Leon still needs you to win a championship. So I think that there are definitely opportunities to beef up uh, the silly season coverage. Maybe that is the case overseas, and we just don't necessarily see it as much here in the United States. If that's the case, I would love to see more of it in North America as well. But to me, keep the racing about the racing. And yeah, the, the the interpersonal stuff, it definitely plays well on Netflix. But I think like you see it in the NBA where people would sometimes rather talk about who's liking what on Instagram than they would about a back screen. So I think that can you can lose some of the game, uh, whether it be basketball or whether it be racing, if you're just focusing on the stuff off the court or off the track. So Formula One's in a, in a little bit of a tough spot. Uh, the thing that's brought people in has been the interpersonal drama. But there's also the racing is so exciting as well that it doesn't necessarily need the extra spice all the time. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You make a really interesting point that so many of the people, we call them generation drive to survive, but these folks that are traditionally used to American team sports, and of course, we've got salary caps and we've got collective bargaining agreements. We know the day that free agency starts. In Formula One, it's the wild, wild west. And I always reference back to the off season in 05, 06, Fernando Alonso signs an agreement to race for McLaren in 07. He's still under contract with Renault for 06, and he wins a championship for the team he's already signed to leave. It's it's crazy. It would be like LeBron signs in anticipation of a move to the Bulls. He's like, I'm going to sign for them 23-24, but I'm under contract for a year, and I'm still going to win a title. Like, it's crazy. So I think there's definitely a bit of an adjustment period. But you and I were talking before the podcast a little bit about kind of our numbers. And and when I say our numbers, I'm talking about our Scuderia F1 podcast numbers, but our biggest numbers uh, for everyone listening at home aren't in season. They're in the off season. It's the anticipation of the season. It's the car reveals. It's all the news. It's the driver signings. But uh, I would love that F1 could get into a place where I'm not suggesting you need a driver salary cap. In fact, I don't want it. I think they deserve every penny they earn. They're the ones getting in the car. But I would love to have like a real free agency period just so we could have that thing to focus on and talk about in the off season. Because oftentimes, to your point, like Drivers can sign a new agreement with any team at any time, even if they're under agreement with another team. All of that said, question for you, because you're on the south side of the border. So we're up here in Canada. We call ourselves American Adjacent. We often joke that we're America's F1 podcast hosted by two Canadians with British passports. But uh, from your perspective, (laughs) what what would be the impact in the U.S. of a competitive American driver. So we got two Canadian drivers and uh, we spent a lot of time running interference and defending the performance of our two Canadian drivers. Um, What would be the impact of a really talented American driver um, scoring points regularly in the US? Would that make a difference? Would it bring more fans in? Or do you think it's so big right now it wouldn't even matter? I think it would certainly help as long as that driver is more successful than Daniel Ricardo. He seems to be the closest thing to an American driver uh, at this point with the way he embraces things, particularly (laughs) in Texas. He's like uh, probably the closest we've got uh, to an American driver right now. But I think you see the impact that even like 
I know this is maybe a weird comparison, but like when they raced at Circuit Zanfort last year for the first right. time in ages, and obviously there was a massive turnout for Verstappen uh, being from the Netherlands as well. That was really cool to see. And it's really cool to see like when you see Gasly go race at the French Grand Prix or yeah. Leclerc yeah. at the Monaco Grand Prix. It's very cool to see a home driver on their own course. And I mean... Obviously, uh, the United States is going to get behind whoever is already uh, is whoever is a United States uh, born driver. So I think uh, some success from a U.S. driver would be huge Uh, or alternately, like if Haas is able to kind of keep the momentum they've got going forward through for for the next couple of seasons you know they had a hot start they kind of got lost a little bit in the middle of the season so far but they've had some nice results lately with Magnussen and Schumacher if America's F1 team can actually be a competitive team (laughs) can kind of be you know not battling for seventh but battling for fourth I think that would be a huge look as well what have been for you what have been the juiciest storylines this season so far either on or off the track what do you think has been the juiciest storylines I think uh, I think it actually is a little juicy to hear a lot of talk about if Ricardo is going to be able to keep his seat at McLaren yeah, because that's a guy go. that a lot of people have a soft spot for. He's a huge personality on Drive to Survive, and he was almost pitched as an underdog compared to Verstappen early on. He's bounced around from team to team to team, and it seems like even if he's making the right move on paper, it just hasn't worked out. The fact that he's been so up and down with the car, mostly down, uh, has been a bit of a disappointment. Um, but you have to wonder, like, if things have passed him by a little bit here and if teams are going to start saying, you're not the veteran leader that we thought we were getting. So let's take a chance with the younger guy. So that's been a little bit of a bummer to just see him be completely disappointed and befuddled by the car almost every single weekend. We're almost halfway or actually look at the calendar we are now halfway through the 2022 championship boy has it flown by the the longest championship on record in terms of number of raw races uh formula one the fia they had promised us a new era of f1 we're going to see closer racing it's going to be more competitive we're going to see different people on the podium every race weekend from your perspective has it lived up to the expectations that maybe all of us wanted going into the season knowing that really the championship championship had been dominated by one team since 2014. I would say yes and no that uh, the regulations have kind of met my expectations. We have seen a lot more close driving. I think we've seen a lot of really close. uh, I think we've seen a lot of really cool uh, moments. Was it Silverstone where we had like five guys racing for a spot at one point? We saw early in the season in Baku, like Leclerc and Verstappen going head to head back and forth for multiple laps. That kind of stuff has definitely paid off. And I think that uh, the racing in that aspect is kind of what we were promised, which I think is very cool to see. And I think that going forward, you know, uh, with this is the baseline, we're looking in a good spot for some pretty solid racing. But it's also a little bit of a bummer that it feels like we're getting a blowout season here for Verstappen and Red Bull only because right. Ferrari keeps getting in their own way. So I I think it's a little bit hard to judge uh the overall championship race because it feels like Verstappen and Leclerc are neck and neck with each other, both from a driving perspective and from a car perspective, but it just ain't happening for Ferrari every single week. Whereas with Red Bull, 
they had a tough start to things and have figured things out. And you can tell that they're the consistent team out there. You can, can tell that they've been in a championship race for the past couple of seasons. They know how to comport themselves where Ferrari, it feels like they're coming across issues for the first time in their lives every time something happens out there. So I do think the cars are better. Things are closer, but the season as a whole is looking a more like, you know, 2018 or 2019 than 2021. Definitely. And, and you make that comment that right now there's a 63 point gap between Max and, and Charles. That's, that's an awfully big gap with 10 races left. And I think the number that I think was most startling that I saw fly by on Reddit on the weekend was by combination of driver error and DNF, Charles Leclerc has hemorrhaged or coughed up 75 points this season. So obviously it could be, and it should be a lot closer than it has been so far this season. And I'll let you go shortly. Cause I know you've got a ton of work to do today. Uh, what's been your biggest surprise of the season so far. And, and aside from Daniel Ricardo, what's been your biggest disappointment? Biggest surprise for me has been Alpine, uh, and how enjoyable they have been to, to see racing. I know they just actually passed, uh, McLaren for fourth in the driver's championship, but it feels like they've been right. light years ahead of McLaren for this entire season. Alonzo, to me, is such a prickly personality that he really rubbed me the wrong way when I kind of came into the sport. I definitely missed his championship years, but then he went away for a couple of years, came back, and now I think he's like <laughs> the coolest guy on the grid, and he knows like every single trick. Yeah. It's uh, To me, I compare him to Chris Paul, who is a guy who I'm not a big fan of in the NBA, but you can't deny his greatness, and you can't deny that he knows how to get every single advantage uh, how to take advantage of every single little bit of an advantage that he has. And I think Alonzo is the exactly the same way. So that's been a pleasant surprise to me. Uh, as for a disappointment, uh, I think that Alfa Romeo is a little bit of a disappointment just because they had such a hot start. The car looked great. Botas looked like a great leader. Uh, you know, Joe Guan Yu scored points in his very first race as well. Things were looking good for Alfa Romeo. They just kind of faded as the season has gone on. Uh, I still think they're in a better spot than they were at the end of the 2021 season. They were just an anonymous team out there, whereas they get a bit of an identity uh, right now. So I've really loved what I've seen from Alpine. I had higher hopes uh, for Alfa Romeo after the first couple of races for the season, but all in all, you know, it's kind of gone a little bit according to plan. Uh, we've seen Red Bull be on top. Uh, we knew that Mercedes was going to be a little bit down after testing, and Ferrari has been there to challenge. It's kind of been a little bit of a disappointment for me uh, as a Lewis fan to not really see him in the mix all that much. I know he does have more podium appearances than Leclerc, which seems ridiculous to me considering the way that things have gone this season. But they're in a weird spot right now, Mercedes, where it's like you're not fast enough to be challenging Red Bull and Ferrari but you're too fast for everybody that's going for fourth. So it kind of feels like Lewis and George are just racing each other out there a lot of the time. Right. Uh, I would like to see them in the mix for a win. Uh, maybe we'll see that in the second half of the season. I often like to frame F1 concepts in sports terminology that might be more familiar to North American listeners. And I was outside last night working on the lawn, listening to No Dunks, and and Skeets and Tass were talking about the potential Kevin Durant trade to Boston. And they were talking about Boston's championship window. Is it longer with KD? Do you make the trade and it gets shorter, but it's more possible? And I, I thought that was an interesting term and not something I've ever applied to Formula One. If you look at the current crop of teams knowing that the engine regulations are going to change in 2026 and who knows what that looks like. But what team has the healthiest championship window right now? Ferrari, Red Bull, or possibly Mercedes? 
Uh, it's got to be Red Bull. You know, they are on top right. of the game car-wise and Verstappen's at the peak of his powers. Like, he's such a smarter and more patient driver than he has been even compared to his championship season. Like, you could just see the growth in him knowing, you know, like, he'll let a, he'll let somebody pass him just so he can get DRS and make the move stick uh, for the win. So I think uh, with the way he drives and with the way Perez has been... Uh, Sometimes inconsistent, sometimes unreliable, but I I, tep- I like Perez as a driver. I think uh, maybe he's not the ideal number two the way that Botas was, but I like the pairing of them. And you have to imagine that with the way they already figured out the car in year one, having one of the best drivers out there, they've got a wide open championship window. They should be in the mix uh, time and time again. And then I think we've seen that Mercedes should at least... Ferrari certainly is going to be around for a long time. Leclerc and Sainz, they're great drivers. And I think Mercedes, hopefully next year, should be able to get back into the championship picture. Russell has been so uh, spectacular in his first year in a championship winning car. He had all those top five finishes, except for the one DNF he's had. Hamilton has ended up on the podium multiple times, even though the car hasn't been good enough. If they can figure out the car for next year, those are two very good drivers. They could have maybe the best twosome out there. So I think their championship window, I still want it to be open. I would love to see Lewis get one more. So maybe it's hopeful thinking. (laughs) Me too. Oh man, me too. And as all our listeners know, my son is... My son, as our listeners know, is literally called Lewis Hamilton. That is his legal name. So we are obviously cheering for that to to happen. We wrap every interview up with a couple of rapid fire questions. The first question, and again, this is some hardcore journalism here. When you play Super Mario Kart, which driver do you pick? Who is your favorite driver in Super Mario Kart? I'm always, oh, Super Mario Kart. I've only been playing Mario Kart 8 recently. Oh, that's fine. Mario Kart 8 is fine. Yeah, we, uh... We upgraded a Nintendo Switch for the girls. I always go with dry Bowser. Not the regular Bowser. The <laughs> Bowser that looks like he's gone to Flavortown with Guy Fieri. Uh, just in general, I want the high top speed. So I'm going with a heavy guy who can bump you off the line and can maybe doesn't have the acceleration, but gets to a really, really high peak because I trust my own driving skills to handle the curves. I was in the dental chair yesterday watching the TV that's mounted in the ceiling and Guy Fieri came on and it thought of you. Like, of course, I've got that interview tomorrow. Um, What is the last TV show you binged? Last TV show that we binged was The Bear on FX. Oh. Uh, a restaurant show set in Chicago. So uh, certainly a soft spot for me. It was really good. It's a really, really stressful show. They're yelling at each other from the opening minute to the closing minute. Uh, but it was awesome. I think it's a pretty short season as well. Short episodes. We crushed that. We also, uh, hacks season two. Uh, I think it's technically on Cinemax, but maybe it's on HBO max streaming. That was a banger as well. And I got to give a special shout out to Downton Abbey, a new era, the movie (laughs) that dropped uh, a continuation from one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Uh, the TV movie they did with the Royal visit solid, But Downton Abbey, a new era, this new one, absolute banger. One of my favorite pieces of Downton uh, (laughs) content I've seen thus far. So that was going to be the next question is what was the last movie you saw in cinema? And I'm presuming it was the latest uh, Downton Abbey. Um, Two more quick ones. If you could go to any Formula One race in the world, cost aside, if you could go to any race, which would it be? I think, I mean, cost aside, Monaco would be awesome. Uh, Just for the environment and the party and the history. 
Not necessarily for the race, of course. I guess uh, spa would probably be my next choice. I just think it's such a beautiful setting. Uh, I love to be outdoors in nature. And that to me seems like one of the tracks where you're really (laughs) out there, right out there in the middle of the forest. So those would probably be my top two. I love it. Uh, And finally, your prediction for the championship 2022. Uh, Verstappen's going to take it. I know we can kind of twist ourselves into the knots here saying if you throw out a couple of DNFs for Ferrari, they're right there. And Leclerc has explained it himself after the French Grand Prix. He's like, I threw away 32 points myself on errors, which sucks for the guy. But even if he knows it, it means it did happen. So throwing away that many points uh, doesn't seem to be working out well for Ferrari because, you know, Red Bull threw away some points early in the season as well, but they seem to have gotten things on track and are pretty reliable uh, finishing-wise. If we get another DNF from Verstappen in, you know, one of these first couple of races after the break, things might be different, but I'm assuming Max takes home title number two. Trey, I've taken up altogether too much of your afternoon. I cannot thank you enough. Where can our listeners follow you? Where they can they track down some of your, your great work? I'm at Trey Kirby, T-R-E-Y-K-E-R-B-Y. Everywhere, uh, Instagram, Twitter, those are the main places. You can follow all of our podcasting stuff at No Dunks Inc. That's I-N-C. You'll get updates for no buffs, no bunts, and of course, no breaks as well. Those are the best places. And you've got some great merch as well if people want to check that out. That's right. Nodunks.com. I don't know exactly what kind of Formula One shirt we're going to do, uh, but we need to do one. Ah. We put out, um, we did a Golf McLaren shirt last year. Nice. That was a banger for sure. Uh, I don't know. What, uh, like, what's another, what's the most notable Formula One look right now? I mean, obviously a Ferrari red is a classic. Yep, Absolutely. Bucket, I don't know if you want to go down that path, but bucket hats seem to be really popular in the paddock okay. right now. Lewis was rocking one last weekend. They seem to be very, very popular. But you're right that that blood red Ferrari is always timeless, especially with a black stripe on it. Yeah, there we go. That might have to be the next No Breaks merch for you. Fantastic. Trey, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, for everybody listening at home, thank you for joining us once again for our continuation of our interview series. As always, you can track us down on Twitter at f one pod If you like what we're doing, you're enjoying the show, please make sure to give us a rating on Spotify. And if you use Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, uh, please give us a rating and a review. It means the world to both of us. And like we've said before, we read every single one of those reviews. Once again, thank you so much. Track down Trey, Trey Kirby on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, he does great work for The Athletic for both the No Dunks podcast and No Breaks. Thank you once again. We'll speak to everybody soon. Thanks for now. Bye.